Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I am honored this week to be joined by Peush, who is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Geneticist in Ohio, a, uh, a new startup looking at new ways to image the heart. Appreciate you joining the, uh, the show. Happy to have you. Thank you, Dr. Cooper. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So maybe give us a little background on yourself, you know, kind of where you grew up, where you went to school, and then kind of at a high level, like what you guys are working on. It's really exciting. Yeah, no, I grew up in uh, Mason, Ohio, suburb of uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and now we're actually you know, full circle building the business out of Cincinnati, Ohio. But I met my co-founders at Mason High School in Mason, Ohio, um, Vinith and Manny. Uh, and you know, it was just a really nice homecoming story for us to have gone to college our separate ways. Manny and I went to Ohio State. Faneeth went to Case Western. Uh, my father was a uh, our original CFO in the business as well. And so we all were fairly close. And even though we were doing our separate things, it, it was an exciting and opportunistic means of converging on something that we were truly excited by, which was this uh, world of biomagnetism, which, you know, we'll get into uh, throughout the course of the hour. That's awesome. Thanks for giving us that that background. So from what I understand, you, you initially started this as an undergraduate student. And I'm I'm really curious how as an undergrad, I mean, most undergrads are just trying to, you know, maybe take some courses, you know, figure their figure things out. Like, how did you get to like where you started not only a company, but a company working on this kind of innovative technology? It's amazing. Well, it's funny too, because um, yeah, the the inspiration behind even exploring science and medicine as a potential career started with my grandfather. Uh, and then Dr. Cooper, I know I shared with you that my grandfather recently passed and kind of to honor his memory. Um, you know, I was spending time in Calgary uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and yeah, he grew up during the partition of India and Pakistan. So he grew up uh, without access to many resources uh, in war-torn part of the country. Um, and yet he always had a smile on his face. Uh, he was always a extreme altruistic, uh, deliver as much value to as many people as I possibly can type of person. And that inspired me when he got very ill in 2005 and visited us in the United States for the first time to really start exploring science as a career. Um, and so for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a bench scientist. I left high school early to go to Ohio State, uh, interned at a number of research labs, and uh, at the same time saw that people were starting companies that were my age, something called the Teal Foundation existed that were seeding young entrepreneurs. And I thought, you know, maybe I should just give it a shot. Um, I didn't know exactly what I was going to build, but I learned a lot. Um, and I had a had a passion for working with cool people on great things. And that's kind of what I want to do for the rest of my career. That's amazing. Um, so were you, what were you studying? Like, what was your, what was your major? Was it like in the sciences or, or I, I guess, how did this, did that influence your kind of the way you, you starting this company? It did. Yeah. I was a biomedical science major. Um, so I did a lot of, uh, exciting work in the world of biophysics, cellular physiology. And then my, uh, co-founders, uh, Vineeth was biomedical and electrical engineering at case. And then Manny 
was a computer science uh, at Ohio State. So it was a nice blend of computing, uh, the traditional, you know, sciences, uh, biomed sciences, um, all melding together into, you know, how do we build a better future, um, ultimately of medical imaging, as as we'll get into. That's awesome. So I guess, you know, you talk about your inspiration, what, as you started to like, kind of dive into the technology, you know, all, you know, many great health tech startups start with like a clinical problem or a clinical need, I guess, where, what would you say was kind of the, the clinical need you were I guess you were and still are probably trying to uh, solve. And I guess what is kind of your your solution to that, if you will? Well, and it took us a few years to really figure this out. It took, uh, you know, a lot of conversations with cardiologists, emergency room physicians, radiologists, primary care docs, nurses, patients. But ultimately, we've come down to a, to a, this simple yet bold conclusion that in the modern standard of care, the goal is to treat functionally significant disease in the context of cardiovascular disease, not just disease as a general kind of catch-all statement. So it's really important in today's standard of care, given the evidence is so clear, that we should be targeting and treating patients who have functionally significant disease. And so our problem statement then was, how do you provide diagnostic certainty to physicians without any of the burden that comes with providing the best testing? And so if you think about standard of care for a patient with you know, chest pain coming into the ER, for example, how do we make sure that we maximize the efficiency and the effectiveness of diagnostic imaging to really get the, the patient to the right place at the right time, you know, whether it's to the cath lab for treatment or discharge safely from the ER so they can go back home. Interesting. Yeah, no, I can, I can echo that. I, I do radiology now, so I read a lot of, you know, emergency imaging, but I also did some ER rotations during my, my first year of residency. So I, 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 and took care of some patients with, you know, coming in with chest pain. So yeah, I, I definitely, we have, we're crowd where I'd say we're decent at it, but I think like you said, there's, there's definitely room for improvement and also for sure, making it a lot more efficient. The ER can be kind of a chaotic place. And um, sometimes you're not always dealing with all the, the information right at once. So yeah, I think your solution is, uh, is very innovative in that regard. So I guess maybe tell us a little bit about the science, like how you uh, like behind, like you were saying, you know, the kind of utilizing magnetic fields that are emitted from, you know, organs within us and, you know, how you guys are able to do that. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, it's really exciting. The space of biomagnetism, the science of biomagnetism has been around since the late sixties. So it's certainly not a new concept. Um, in fact, the concept is quite elementary. You're, it's thinking about, you know, the same source the pacemaker activity of the heart or the brain, uh, for that matter, that generate uh, an electric signal that you can measure using, you know, an electrode, um, EEG, ECG. It also generates some magnetic field, um, and theoretically, that magnetic field can be measured, and it has unique spatial properties, uh, vector properties that we can use to, you know, kind of capture insights that would otherwise be missed by the standard of care. And so that's been around since the late '60s. The challenge was that it required a significant amount of infrastructure to make those measurements from the late 60s to the 2010s, you know, magnetically shielded rooms, the size of a lunar module, liquid helium cryogenics. There was no standardized algorithm for interpreting this data, uh, and there were no robust, large multicenter clinical studies to actually show, you know, how it may pan out from a feasibility standpoint in, in clinical practice. So a lot of limiters but the promise of biomagnetism was incredible. The fact that you could theoretically do this without touching skin, you could do it in seconds, 
You could do it without contrast, pharmaceuticals or exercise. And you could look at ischemic heart disease, not from a perfusion standpoint, but from a electrophysiological standpoint. There was a lot of excitement around biomagnetism. And so we capitalized on it using modern technologies, you know, cloud compute, AI, next-gen sensing, you know, going optical versus liquid helium cooled. A lot of paradigm shifting technologies are making the modern age of biomagnetism uh, a complete game changer relative to its its uh, you know kind of predecessor past. That's amazing. So it, I guess in the simplest terms, it's almost like your guys are doing like a reverse MRI uh, in a in a way. And um, I feel like it, is it is it you know an MRI as you know can take some time and like you said you know some you know you can require contrast and even you know if you do a CTA or things like that you know I guess. Is it is it much quicker as well? I imagine that that would also be an advantage as well. It is, yeah. You wouldn't vasodilate patients, no contrast. It takes about 90 seconds to complete the test. Uh, and all you have to do is put the patient on the table. Uh, you position the sensor box right above the chest wall, the sensor plate. Um, and within 90 seconds, not only do you have your scan completed, but a minute or two thereafter, you've got a cloud-based report. And so the treating physician has access to these insights with almost no latency um, and certainly without the need for any type of, you know, radio pharmaceutical or any type of contrast or, or vasodilator. That's amazing. So yeah, even versus like a, like a nuclear uh, stress test as well, you know, this, it sounds like, you know, like you said, doesn't require like radio tracer or having to have them, you know, get on a treadmill or do a, you know, a pharmaceutical as well. That's interesting. I guess so. What 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 kind of data like are you guys? Is it structural, obviously, probably, and then also, are you able to look at like you know ischemic areas, like measure ischemia and things like that? Or I guess what what kind of clinical parameters are you guys like able to image and measure? Yeah, and you know the vision statement behind what what we envision the future to look like in a cardioflux world is is that using this ninety second cardioflux test based on the principles of magnetocardiography and biomagnetism. We are really trying to identify ischemia at its earliest stages and in all of its manifestations. So whether it's from epicardial coronary disease, i.e. a blocked coronary artery, or if it's emanating from coronary microvascular dysfunction, which, you know, really takes us, you know, uh, one paradigm further than what we're traditionally trying to do in today's standard of care. And so while we're not trying to localize ischemia to a particular vessel, we are very much in the business and in the spirit of demonstrating that ischemic heart disease is not created equally. You know, it, it can present as epicardiocoronary disease, but it also exists as microvascular dysfunction, which has a very unique phenotype, both in patients, but also in the biomagnetism of the heart. And, and that's what we're, we're showing with our technology. That's amazing. I guess maybe walk me through like how this works, like the workflow in the ER. Um, you know, patient comes in with chest pain, is this something they go to immediately? Do they get like, do you wait to see if like their troponins are elevated or some type of other marker? Or is this, or do you guys envision this kind of being the the first stop for people that come in with like substernal chest pain or like your classic, you know, you know, heart, heart attack presentation? That's a great question. And yeah, I mean, the 2021 ACCHA guidelines are, are pretty, pretty exciting and clear in terms of, you know, trying to risk stratify and, and, do more with less for these patients. And a lot of the spirit of what we're trying to accomplish with cardioflux is let's focus more on treating, less on repeatedly testing. Um, and so, for example, uh, the best way to encapsulate how the product will actually be used in the ER specifically 
is in the form of our ongoing ACMED trial. So we just completed our ACMED trial. Results are due to be out you know, later this year, early next year. Um, it's a roughly 400 patient trial, but CardioFlux would be performed within four hours of presentation. So it's typically happening right after the ECG, first troponin, but before the second troponin. And that's an ideal positioning in terms of the workflow because it takes 90 seconds. It can be done fairly quickly. Uh, EKG technician, you certainly don't need, you know, a cardiologist, ER physician, or radiologist to actually administer the test. So you can do it fairly quickly. But the point is that it would be done within the first few hours uh, and it could be used to make a determination on whether or not a patient needs to be, uh, you know, cardiology consulted, uh, straight to cath lab, or can be discharged safely from the ED due to a very high negative predictive value. And our early studies have shown 98, 99% negative predictive values. And we certainly anticipate ACMED will, will corroborate that in, in a larger multi-center experience. That's interesting. So wh where are you guys at with the, I think I've read you guys are, have reached FDA approval status and, and I'm curious, like how, what was kind of some of the regulatory hurdles you, you guys had to face for that and how you kind of overcame those? Yeah, we see our, our strategy as, is kind of three steps. The first one was 510K clearance. And that, that took place in 2019. That got MCG using this optical kind of non-liquid helium-cooled sensing technology cleared. So that was a, a, a first in industry uh, for a room temperature-based MCG to be cleared. Uh, the second was a breakthrough designation that we attained in 2020, which was for the critical diagnosis of myocardial ischemia. Um, and, and that was an exciting segue into the ACMED trial which now the last piece of the regulatory puzzle is the de novo approval. We're seeking an FDA de novo approval for MCG to finally be clinically regulated. Um, and that's going to usher in a new era of MCG since no MCG yet has been clinically approved by the FDA. And we think that this is going to mark a very exciting new era for clinical and commercial use of, of MCG and, and cardioflux. That's awesome. You know, that's exciting that the, the data you guys are are starting to generate um, through these trials. It's it's amazing. You know, I know also you you recently announced a, a big funding milestone as well. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Where you guys are trying to you know go with this new this new stage of funding and kind of uh, in the next steps uh, over maybe over the next six to twelve months or so. Absolutely, and our we take a lot of pride in being good stewards of capital and being, you know, responsible. A big reason why we're in the Midwest is because we're committed to being efficient with our capital. Um, and so, so we did announce the 17.5 million series C financing led by Mithril Capital out in Austin, Texas. You know, the, the primary use of proceeds for this financing are to capitalize on the clinical successes of ACMED, Micro, um, and some other trials that we've done in the past. Um, so to continue that clinical compendium, to expand the clinical compendium, and to continue to lead with strong clinical evidence as, as the primary tool to influence evidence-based medicine and standard of care. The second piece is to really, in earnest, begin the commercialization effort of the technology post-de novo approval. So early 2023, we intend to start getting this out to select hospital ERs, uh, women's heart programs, academic medical centers, and private practices. Um, so we'll start that effort. And then the, the last piece is, is product optimization. You know, the idea that CardioFlux is useful in coronary microvascular dysfunction patients, 
Inoka patients, ischemia with no obstructive coronary arteries, that's a function of R&D. And so we're committed to investing our time and energy and really demonstrating the value of a biomagnetic platform for functionally significant disease and really proving that, you know, that paradigm shift has taken place already. And biomagnetism is a very, very clear way for physicians to be able to capitalize on some very exciting data that is actionable. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the primary use of proceeds over the foreseeable future using this, this fundraise. That's awesome. Um, like, like we were talking about, you know, I've had a few of your investors on my show, which is, which is pretty, uh, pretty funny and pretty cool. I'm curious, you know, what some of the, maybe like early, what was kind of some of the early challenges with like, you know, convincing investors to get on board, um, you know, what was kind of maybe some pushback or some questions they had and how you kind of, you know, were able to convince them to come on board with you. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the, the superficial answer is, you know, we were young at the time and we're relatively young now, but we were relatively younger at the time. So I think part of the challenge superficially was that we were young and that I think implies uh, maybe a le- certain level of of green. And and that's that's a perfectly legitimate explanation for why some people may have chosen not to invest. I think our thesis has really grown to be having that, that naivete allowed us to actually focus on bringing the right people to the table in the form of advisors, in the form of leadership team members, that would help navigate the traditionally, you know, regulated elements of med tech, you know, which is literally regulatory, quality, market access, commercialization, marketing, a lot of the functions that are very unique to med tech. We brought those people in early to give us what we needed from a guardrails perspective so that, you know, we could focus, uh, the, the young uh, engineers, technologists in the room could focus on building the best product, knowing that, you know, the seasoned experts in the room could guide the the traditionally regulated elements of this. So that's one piece. The second piece, more practically speaking, is biomagnetism was not a new concept. It had existed for a long time. So the big question was, what are you doing differently today that is going to make biomagnetism inevitably successful this time? You know, is it a technological change? Is it a improvement in the reimbursement? capabilities of the technology, or is there better clinical data now? And and fundamentally, what caused that shift? Why didn't it exist before? And that's embedded in the secret sauce behind the intellectual property of the business, the innovations in technology that we've been able to harness and maintain as trade secret. It's those elements that it took time for people like Mark Cuban and others to develop confidence that, you know, we've got our hands around that. And uh, ultimately, that's also what I think has created the most confidence that, you know, we're the team that's going to get this done at the same time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like you mentioned, you know, one of probably my no, most notable guests, Mark Cuban, that's how I first heard of you guys was he, he told me about your, your guys company when I was interviewing him. And uh, I'm curious, you know, he, he gets, I can't even imagine how many pitches he gets. And, you know, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, everyone knows him from shark tank and everything. I'm curious how, What's it? What, how do you think you got him involved, and what's it like been working with him as a, one of your investors? Yeah, so I was um, at the time I was applying for for the Teal Fellowship um, through the Teal Foundation, and uh, a friend, Charles Peralo, had mentioned that you know Mark's email is public, um, and so you know I I shot my shot, and uh, 
I figured he's a busy guy. I'm going to keep this really brief and succinct. And so it's not a very long email to introduce the concept. A lot of bolded words, italicized words to really emphasize the, the take-home points. And initially, Mark was skeptical and took the approach of uh, let the data show that what you're saying is actually valid. You know, is get some pilot data, get some early users to actually show that there's viability here. And so it took us several months before we were able to produce even proof of concept data. But but I think that's really what convinced Mark. And ultimately, that's what convinces, I think, any sophisticated tech or med tech investor is proof that the technology risk is, is low or nil, and that it comes down to execution risk and commercial risk to be able to produce something that people actually can use, benefit from, and, and want. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, there's a lot of theoretical solutions out there that, you know, sound great and even make practical sense. But I think you make a point that you got to, at the end of the day, you got to produce some type of data or some type of model or some way of demonstrating that this is actually realistic. This is actually going to work and fit into like the natural clinical workflow and everything. Absolutely. Everyone asks me how I got him on the podcast. And I, I emailed, I also shot my shot and emailed him directly. (laughs) And he was very receptive. I mean, like you, I, I kept it very, very short because um, I actually read that that he prefers it that way. And then definitely from talking with him, I I, I can uh, echo that as well, that he likes people straight to the point, which which I respect that. That's, you know, I get that. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't have the bolded, italicized words like I did. I, looking back in hindsight, I, it was an ugly looking email, but, you know, it worked. And, and you know, Mark was on the show, too, so. It worked for you, even with the absence of the bold italicized words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you it got the job done. So it's, uh, yeah, no, this for every person, I think that, you know, he says yes to you. There's probably a lot of people he says no to. So kudos to you, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm curious, you know, you're you're in these kind of stages of regulatory approval. How do you plan to kind of roll this out to like, you know, these medical centers? Like what? Like kind of how are you reaching out to them? And like, because I mean, I, I imagine a lot of these hospital administrators, they may have even heard of this technology or maybe skeptical on like how it's going to work and like how it's going to get paid for and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess if you guys investigated some of that yet. Absolutely. And, you know, some of it was was putting together a, a meaningful reimbursement strategy to be able to articulate the health economic story. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's got to make sense. Um from a, from a dollars and cents perspective, uh, you know, we all hope and we all put the patient first and, and make sure that the patient, uh, their physician, their care team um, has access to the best, but it's got to be put in the right package. So getting those reimbursement codes together, being able to provide meaningful pro forma numbers for, you know, total cost of ownership at the administrator level is something we invested time in very early on in our, in our business especially since it's a new modality. And I think that carries the the stigma of, you know, a new large physical product. You know, what's this going to cost? You know, how do I compare it to something that I already know? And getting in the spirit of being able to articulate the health economic story um, beyond just the clinical story, it was, it was really important. But that said, a lot of our early users are people who have been using the product for, at this point, years. You know, Cleveland Clinic, Ascension St. John, Beaumont Royal Oak, Wake Forest, 
our clinical teams at those sites have been enrolling in ACMED and some of those sites in trials beyond ACMED for, for quite some time now. And so they've established proficiency and, and really expertise in using this technology. And, and needless to say, they're fantastic sites that have great reputations for great quality patient care and you know, at aptitude for adopting new technology. And so we prioritized sites that we knew would intuitively get it. Um, and we focused on putting them in a, in a position to actually succeed with the technology. I think, I don't think there's anything better for the marketplace than proving that it works with our first, you know, best, you know, users, the users who use the product already. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, those are, those are some pretty credible users you just named there. <laughs> I mean, Cleveland Clinic, you don't get much uh, much bigger name than that in, in terms of cardiovascular care. And then uh, certainly those other institutions you've you've been at are certainly well-regarded and well-respected. Um, that's amazing. I'm curious, you know, what, are there any other, obviously you've been focused on cardiovascular disease, you know, but what, are there any other like clinical applications you guys have been kind of exploring or even maybe even further along than the exploring stage at this point? Yeah, no, we, we have, we've come a long way with, uh, ischemia. Um, and, you know, we don't want to minimize the importance of looking at ischemia from every perspective we can, right? So we started with a story that was focused on ischemia in the traditional coronary artery disease sense. We've already broadened that now to look at ischemia with no obstructive coronary arteries, you know, inoca, microvascular disease. And so it, over the next year, two years, we're really committed to demonstrating the full value of biomagnetism for cardiovascular disease in its various manifestations. Beyond that, you know, there are exciting applications in fetal heart. There's exciting applications in neuro. Magnetoencephalography has been around for a long time, it traditionally used for med medically refractory epilepsy. But you know, exciting new science showing the applications of this technology could extend far beyond medically refractory epilepsy as well. And so I, I think we're at, at the very tip of the iceberg right now. There's work to be done. We're laser focused on, on telling the ischemia story, the functionally significant ischemia story, but our, our intentions are, are far broader. That's awesome. You know, I imagine through this that you, uh, you've worked with a lot of physicians, you know, obviously I'm sure you have, obviously you have like a chief medical officer and physicians on your team, but also just interacting with them at these different centers. I guess, what's your advice for, for physicians that want to get involved in like, you know, innovative technology like this, even as, you know, as an advisor or, you know, with integrating it within their own practice, um, you know, cause I imagine there's a lot of interest, but maybe some physicians don't know where to start or the best way to do it. Yeah, I think it's a great question. So I'll give you the example. Uh, Dr. Robert Takla um, uh, is our chief medical officer. He's, he recently joined us full time, uh, actually in August. Uh, but we had been working with him since 2016. Um, and he, he started out uh, certainly with no intentions to join us full time. Um, he, we were just a, a research project for a technology that he felt was really exciting. And I think he took that extra step of getting to know us, getting to know what the technology could do, what its limitations were. And he just offered us that feedback with full transparency. Uh, and so simple things like how to refine the product, you know, earlier it was a 14 sensor system and the board was very limited. So we weren't able to scan patients with 
certain chest depths. And so to expand the potential universe of accessible uh, patients for our device, you know, Dr. Tackle is immensely helpful in guiding next-gen product development. Um, and then introducing us to other people, whether they be investors, other ER physicians, helping us educate people within his own center, um, in creating engagement around the clinical trials. So I think the best advice I could give is if it's something you're excited about, whether it's a technology, whether it's a team, just go that extra mile and let them know that you're paying attention, that you care about what they're building. And it's less about you know, joining full-time versus part-time versus being an advisor. It's more about, you know, let me know how I can help. And I, organically, I think you, you build such meaningful and lasting relationships in doing that. Yeah. I think that's excellent advice. I think kind of putting yourself out there a little bit. And like you said, kind of going the extra mile. I, I'm, I'm really interested, you know, as a radiologist and you, you touched on this a little bit earlier. I mean, you're literally inventing a whole new imaging modality here, which is, which is pretty, you know, it's kind of in the workhorse has been, you know, x-ray, CT, ultrasound, MRI. And I mean, here, uh, it's a whole new modality. I think that that's amazing. I guess, where do you see that? Like it playing in with that? Cause you know, obviously each modality has its pros and cons and it's, you know, uses and things like that. Um, I guess, where do you see that kind of fitting in, in that, that landscape? And, and maybe if you had any like radiologists that were kind of wondering that, you know, where, where that fits in for them, you know? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, you think about the guidelines now, the 2021 guidelines, ACCHA for chest pain. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of clarity around the importance of functionally significant disease at this point, right? So you think about CT or you think about MRI and you think about the cost or the time that it takes to layer in functional data. And you think about having to, to make this decision between efficiency and effectiveness, right? Yes, you could do a coronary CTA, but I also want to interrogate the hemodynamics of this, of this you know, CTA. You know, it takes time. It takes resources to be able to actually get that additive information. With MCG and biomagnetism, the way we see the world, we don't want that to ever be a choice. So we want to provide diagnostic certainty, provide that functionally significant information, but to do it in the most efficient and uh, low burden manner possible. And so no longer is it a choice between efficiency and effectiveness. Now it's diagnostic certainty without the burden. And that's that's the future that we think we are promising with, with biomagnetism and, and with CardioFlux. That's really interesting. So I'm wondering it, who who reads these images? Is it, is it cardiology? Is it a radiologist or, uh, is it AI that reading it? Or maybe that's, maybe that's the eventual goal. Uh, kind of where are you guys at with that as far as that goes? It's so funny. You mentioned that. I mean, there, so much is, is AI or computerized as it should be. Um, but w what we found time and time again, is that there are a lot of elements of this that improve with human interpretation. So we're always committed to providing as much quantitative, meaningful insight as we can but those are just indicators. Ultimately, clinical context is essential to the full story of even a, a, a scan like this, a, a simple to interpret, easy to evaluate scan. The, the human interpretation element is, is priceless. It's extremely valuable in rendering the final decision on whether a patient has coronary artery disease or microvascular disease or none. And, and so in that sense, uh, it's, it's a human-assisted read uh, and that read could be performed based off of the way we've designed the technology 
by an ER doc, a, a radiologist, a cardiologist, or a primary care physician. So we've designed our training modules and the actual report so that we can train a broad group of potential users, uh, clinicians to, to interpret that scan data. That's amazing. Yeah, that makes it much more, I guess, accessible, if you will, to to a lot of different areas. That's 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 pretty cool. I'm curious, have you guys seen? You know, obviously, you're kind of starting out in, uh, you know, the major academic centers, uh, which makes sense, you know, because they're doing, you know, the research and have the patient volume. But I'm curious, have have you guys thought about like how does this how's this going to work or fit in with uh, like more rural ERs or more kind of areas that maybe don't have as many, you know, resources or MRI scans or things like that, you know, I would imagine this probably could potentially be pretty beneficial to those types of uh, healthcare facilities. You're hundred percent right. Uh, for them, it's all about mobilizing. You know, we, we certainly anticipate that this is a technology that can be mobilized. Um, and in fact, independent of, you know, rural or critical access considerations, we think mobilizing in general is an important element of educating the market since this is a new modality. So that, that's my short answer is, is mobilization is, an element of how we make this not just accessible, but available to everyone. That's awesome. I'm curious, uh, you know, as we round out here, I, I just want to ask, you know, you've come a long way as an entrepreneur from, you know, starting this as a, as a college undergraduate to now you're, you've got like major funding and you're, you know, doing these major clinical trials at all these really reputable centers. It's, it's pretty amazing what you've done. Uh, I'm curious what, What's your, I guess, what's your advice for, for like the, the budding entrepreneur out there, you know, regardless of what age or stage of life they're at, like if they, they've got this idea and they want to, you know, kind of, it just won't leave them and they want to keep, they want to try and pursue it. I guess, what's your, your thoughts on where to start? You know, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd like this to be a, a somewhat of a tribute to my grandfather, to be honest. And, and the reason for that is because I think about the cold email I sent to Mark Cuban. I think about all of the the things that I've done in my early career. And I think it came down to, I will find a way to do this and to do this with integrity. And that's that's why it's truly a tribute to my grandfather's because he wasn't a healthcare professional. Um, he grew up you know, in, in a very, very poor part of the country in, in India uh, after escaping during the partition, as I mentioned to you, Dr. Cooper. Um, but he he did everything with the highest possible integrity. And so knowing that he has this emotional element uh, for me, uh, inspiration, motivation, whatever you want to call it, but this fixed element of my life that I know will always keep me going, i.e. my motivation can't be deterred by I had a bad day, you know, funding didn't come through on time. You know, we really wanted to hire this person, but we lost it. None of that is enough to deter me because I'm I'm serving, I think, a greater good. Um, and I think that shows up when people say no and you keep working hard because there's a reason beyond, you know, wanting that outcome. Um, and so I think my advice to everyone is it, don't focus on the fruits of the labor. Just make it a labor of love. Do it because you want to do it and it's worth doing, not because, you know, the the reward at the end of it is, is what's going to justify how much time or energy you spent. Yeah. I think that that's excellent advice. Peyush. I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you, you have to be in it for the, the long haul and, the, and it's, it's kind of similar to becoming a physician, I think in some ways where it's, uh, you know, people think it's all great at the end, but they don't, they don't see all the, the 
college, med school, residency, all, all it takes to get there. <laughs> and I, I would echo what you said. I mean, it's, it's something you have to be passionate about and do with integrity. And uh, I think that's really excellent advice. I'm curious, you know, I want to make, give you a chance, you know, where, where can people find out more about what you guys are doing uh, at Geneticist? You know, what's uh, kind of website, what, if there's any like social media you guys are active on uh, where people, and then any, like, you know, any papers you guys have published or anything like that where, uh, and we'll definitely link this, but just so people can hear it. Absolutely. Yeah. www.geneticist.com. We're on all the social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, but I would say, for all those listening who are interested in kind of the latest clinical data on cardioflux and the value we we promise for for chest pain patients across the country and ultimately across the world, tune into the ACMED trial results that will come out here in the very near future. We're very excited about the potential impact that that study and ultimately its publication will have on uh, the standard of care and and all the clinicians out there that are looking to practice evidence-based medicine and do what's best for their patients. So we're, we're excited to, to get those results out there and stay tuned with our story. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm excited to see those results as well. Um, I think it's, it's just amazing what you guys are doing. And, uh, I think really have a lot of potential to really transform not only cardiovascular care, but emergency medicine and, and, and any further applications you guys come up with. Um, the other thing I, I asked every guest, this is what, when you're not working on geneticists, what, what's your, what's your passions or hobbies outside of work? What, if you, how do you find that balance? If there is one, <laughs> it's recent for me, uh, you know, around, uh, the early portion of the pandemic, uh, but Robert Tackle is a triathlete. And so he got me, uh, very excited about endurance sports, you know, biking, running, um, uh, I still am not there on the swim, but I love staying active. Um, yeah, especially if you can connect the active part of, you know, working out exercise and the spiritual part, you know, exercising the mind. Uh, I, I try, I try to be as healthy as I can, but, um, I'm spending my time biking, running tennis and now pickleball. Pickleball is a big thing now, especially in Cincinnati. So yeah, that's where I'm spending my time. That's awesome. Yeah. Cincinnati has that big tournament every year, right? For tennis. The, the, I think it's like right before the U S open. It is right next to our headquarters, actually literally right next to maybe like a hundred feet. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, well, Paige, thanks so much for, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us. I really enjoyed learning more about your story and what you guys are working on. And I'm just really excited to see what comes next for you guys. It's, it's really cool and really innovative. No, thank you for having me, Dr. Cooper. I uh, I really appreciated uh, the opportunity to share a story. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour podcast presented by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.